Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning. I hope everybody's having a wonderful Tuesday. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, people have often asked me since this show started, they said, Frank, what exactly is a life altering event? This is what I tell them a life altering event can be something that we choose or something that is thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. Now, everyone's had those aha moments where your life has changed for better or for worse. Now, these life-altering events occur in every aspect of our personal and our professional life. Now, try as we may, it's impossible to completely separate the events of our personal life from our professional life. Believe me, I tried this for years, and I failed miserably. Now, as you listen and enjoy this show over the next weeks and months and hopefully years, I urge you to think about participating in an upcoming show. If you've had a life-altering event that could inspire others, visit the life-altering event page at voiceamerica.com and send me an email. Tell me about the event that changed your life so drastically, how you addressed it, where your life is now following this incident. We'll review the content, and if it fits into our program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. All right, one thing that life-altering event does bring us is a choice. We have a choice. We can either fall apart or we can have the courage to pick up the pieces and deal with our grief and start moving forward. It's never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, our topic today is going to be how the underground is harming your business. Now, we all know, unfortunately, we're all painfully aware, we live in a very, in a time of division, animosity, resentment, and hostility. There's very strong positions are being taken and battle lines are being drawn politically, socially, which have unfortunately spilled into our business and our professional lives. People are less tolerant of opinions and ideas other than their own. Silos or splinter groups or underground organizations are forming with the goal of advancing their agenda with very little regard for constructive conversation, discussion, or debate. So this begs the question, what happened to civility? When did we lose it? Did we ever have it? How can we find it and successfully implement civility for common good? Education is the key, and the more we know about different people's cultures, backgrounds, races, religions, etc., the better the chance for civil discourse. Now let's break this down to its most common basic components. Civility requires people to find a common ground for productive dialogue, to review and make decisions that affect the common good of an organization. However, civility in corporate dialogue is more than just being nice or going along to get along. Changing and improving workplace dialogue and civility will give you a strong competitive advantage. It can be a difference between being a mediocre organization and a high-performing organization. So, recent studies have shown far too many people are simply not engaged at work. When people don't feel appreciated, a culture of distrust and fear becomes the norm. If it's not addressed by the leaders, it can quickly become toxic. The impact on business is far too much time, money, and patience is lost due to poor or ineffective or hostile or apathetic communication. The number one skill needed is the ability to, ta to have positive and effective dialogue. Now, that doesn't just mean a memo or mandatory compliance. It takes time and it takes effort. Now, this is much easier said than done. So how do we create and maintain a positive environment? Well, today we have two people who can answer that question. My guests today are Dr. Mark Porter. Let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Mark created the Common Ground Model while working on his Ph.D. in organizational communication at Ohio University. He spent his career leading academic programs, directing corporate learning, and development strategies. 
As an organizational development consultant, he applies the common ground model, which he designed and developed, to facilitate improvement in job satisfaction, employee retention, quality, productivity, increasing promotions of underrepresented talent into leadership positions. Now, this model has been used to navigate diversity and inclusion initiatives and, and frame feminine approaches to collaborative leadership. So he does a lot of work with underrepresented groups. That's Mark Porter. Hang on one second. We also have Susan Bravo. Here's a little bit about Susan. Susan has an MA in communication and has spent the majority of her career as a teacher, trainer, coach from people from the ages of 7 to 70. That's quite an amazing range here. She has worked with everyone from kids to senior executives. She's been in settings as various as academic institutions, nonprofits, government agencies, and corporations. Susanna especially is leading development and corporate culture. She's a passionate people person, and she loves to see when other people's light bulb goes on when the idea hits them. So, Dr. Porter and Susanna, welcome to Life-Altering Events. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks, Frank. Thanks Happy to be here. Frank. Wonderful. Uh, Dr. Porter, let's start with you. Your research contends and has shown that every organization has three distinct areas. Could you explain this to the listeners in layman's terms, what these are? Uh, yeah, the, the common ground model is based on the the... Um, those the levels being um, the common ground where collaborative, creative work gets done best. Um, it's where trust uh, is more likely to flourish. Um, but there are two other there are two other sides of this where conflict is um, either kind of a win lose or a lose lose. One of them is the battleground. That's what we typically think about conflict in the organizations is is if we're all getting along, all is good and. When we're not getting along, we're doing battle with one another, and it's a win-lose proposition. What's less discussed, in, and it's been in conflict theory for a long time, and in, um, and in lots of books on communication and organizations, is what's what are labeled the underground, the third level. And that's where um, people go to, to basically kind of hide out because they don't generally have the power to fight those with power. Um, and they bide their time where they look other, you know, for places so they can find a way to win. So those three levels are the common ground, then the battleground, and the underground. Now, most executives, as you and I and, and Susanna have talked, most executives really don't know where their organization is in these three areas. Could you tell, uh, tell the listeners about some of the, some of the uh, workshops you've done with the C-level people and, and, and what the results were? Well, we've asked, um, when, typically when we start a conversation with uh, senior leadership, um, we'll ask them where they think the, the, the people are, their company is, in terms of um, the, those three levels. How much time is being spent in the battleground, the common ground, or in the underground? <clears throat> um, understandably, a lot of, of senior folks are very optimistic and believe that um, you know, 65% of the time, people are in the common ground and everything's getting going along pretty well. And for the most part, they don't think the, the underground or the battleground are that significant, uh, at least not in slowing them down. But when we've asked, and we turn around and we ask employees, um, and both generally and on specific issues, generally is what's the climate like in your organization and where you think you are or a specific issue about what do you think the, the environment is in terms of um, being inclusive and respectful and, you know, not harassment. The, the area that ends up being the largest um, is typically the underground. Uh, they feel that the organization is not willing to hear them. So we often talk with this, with the C-level and senior people um, on within just, you know, uh, use initial assessments to say here's here's a big disparity, um, and it's very very common. Um, and then it is an eye-opening experience for many of them. Um, that it, I'm not sure why some of them, so often they can be disconnected. That's another discussion, but um, it is very interesting when some of them sit back and go, "Yeah, I wondered about that," and we start opening the conversation about. 
Um, what is it going to take to grow the common ground, um, to deal with and confront those things that are holding your organization up? In my CEO life, um, I went through a, a, this type of a situation in a turnaround organization, and we had people like yourself come in, and I was shocked. I was shocked when they told me 19% of your organization is in the common ground and 66 in the underground and 15 in the battleground, so I can do the math quickly. And I said, that's 81% of my company who's not on board. So I thought, no, that can't be right. So I did my own research. <laughs> I'm talking to a PhD, and then i got to go do my own research, right? And then I found the Bain study, which, which collaborated that. And it, it, it was shocking. And, and your, your research has been proven over and over again that this is the way it is. So when you talk to these people, Dr. Porter, after you've had this discussion, do you sit down with them and say, where is your organization? How can you tell if you're having these kinds of, of uh, situations by the language that's being used? Um. Thinking through how uh, the, you know, different responses, because some some of the individual responses were uh, um, a kind of denial uh, by leadership that this just can't be true. Um, and when they're in that place, it's, it's it's a rougher road to change it, and it usually means that that underground is can be pretty embedded. Um, People get into the understanding how the underground grows or, and in some cases flourishes is in part because of, of the hierarchy, the organization being in such a way that these people feel disenfranchised. They don't feel respected. They don't feel trusted. They don't feel that they can step up and, and challenge someone with a new idea um, and without some kind of reprimand, whether or, um, uh, or frankly, sometimes harassment, um, in which it basically isn't safe. So they move into the underground and, 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 and often transform some pretty strong networks there uh, of folks that hold like-minded views of, we can't share this, we can't do this. Um, large organizations can absorb that if they're, I mean, very large organizations, because you can have pockets where those groups in different divisions and different locations geographically can still get some great work done. That's why the organizations don't just fall apart um, when it's there. But if they want to flourish, if they really want to um, move through it, they, they, they've got to confront those, those conversations, those topics that are really holding them back. And they've got to be ready that the conflict could get really intense. And, um, I've seen it on issues around um, uh, around sexual harassment, diversity, inclusion, racial harassment, um, among others, in which it moves to the battleground, and the battleground can be um, a, a legal issue because that's where the, they they feel they can get to uh, um, a level playing field when it's um, you know in a, in a, in a court. Mm -hmm. So. I don't. Am I? Is that answering? Yeah. Or you got to follow up. No, that no, one, that, no. You're you're on that. Some of the things that that I heard in my CEO life that sort of opened up my eyes a little bit was uh, we walked around and we hear topics like, "Why is this project so far behind? Why isn't this program started? Why didn't we see this thing coming? Why is turnover so high? All these things were being said, and as I went through the program, we're finding out. People were either afraid to bring it up or wouldn't bring it up because they didn't think anybody cared. Now, we have... Yes. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll give an example of um, how that hostility kind of gets embedded. <clears throat> Dealt with a um, senior director once, just call him Sam. And Sam was a kind of curmudgeon guy, and, and uh, it popped up that there were had concerns um, in his unit, it was a fairly substantial um, profit center and a marketing component of a company. And there were two um, two folks that were very, very talented. And they actually had become very much involved in helping us change the organizational climate, grow common ground. They had um, We had done a number of projects around quality improvements and process improvements. And these two people were standouts. Um, and yet, 
we then got um, uh, myself and, the, and my colleague, we were working this, facilitating it together over many months. Um, they came to us and said, you know, we, every time we head off to meet with you all, um, Sam says to us, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you have that much time to waste, then um, you obviously don't have enough to do. Exactly. Mark, and Dr. Porter. they got pinged for it. Dr. Porter, can you hold that thought? We have to go to a break here. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and continue this conversation on how the underground is harming your business with Dr. Mark Porter and Susanna Bravo. Stay with us. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. My guests today are Mark Porter and Susanna Bravo, who are both experts in the organizational development world. Now, before we went on break, Mark, Mark was giving us a story that, uh, this is not a story, this has actually happened with an organization he was working with and one particularly a curmudgeon senior manager. Mark, continue. Well, the, the situation with Sam is uh, he had put up barriers for other people. Um, and, and, um, but these two folks, the, the, these two women talent, the, had the talent to move into director and senior director roles, which at the time, um, like a lot of corporate world, it was mostly men. Uh, and in this organization, that was, that was one of the other goals that had been mentioned when we started talking about improving climate and improving common ground. Um, and when you meet these two folks that are, they needed to be put into a leadership development program and then brought into those positions as well. Um, instead, they were being put down and hounded out by each time they would go to a, a meeting about, you know, improving organizational processes or whatever we were facilitating. Um, he'd hammer them again. And um, it, in the end, we tried to and, um, help. Uh, it, we tried to get the intervention to get Sam out of the way sooner because it was 
clear that they were going to lose these two people and their intellectual capital, the knowledge they had and they brought to the table uh, for the specialty kind of marketing they were doing was also very, very important to them. And they did walk. They lost two people. And that was um, that kind of talent is to lose that kind of talent in the organization is very expensive not only because you lose the ability to move people up into leadership roles who probably will do great things in the future, but even in that time and the place that they had, they had an individual who was um, uh, un- unwilling and, um, to move and, and promote these women. And in the end, um, they took away a lot of intellectual capital and went directly to a competitor. Probably estimated that just in an annual loss was about a million dollars just just in one year. Um, and that was brought Sam's end. <laughs> he, had, he basically was pulled out of senior director role yeah, I as could, a result. I could see that if, when you go to a CEO and ask him, uh, does this gentleman have the authority to cash a million-dollar check? Because yeah, a million dollars right. just walked out the door. <laughs> Yeah, it was, um, and and they did tell the. I mean, we we had we were working with C level people in this organization, and it was quite a large company, um, and um, um, this person's belief that he was that he could do anything he, he wanted, but he had done a terrible disservice to these two people, and I'm I'm certain in the history of it as it unfolded, it, this was not the only ones. Um, but I was glad that in the end, the organization stepped up and said, we need to find something else for this person to do um, because we can't get to the common ground. We can't grow our company if we're going to have this kind of loss um, um, of talent and people and spirit and good spirit. Absolutely. So. Susanna, let me bring you in here. I've heard you say when a culture is safe... You can have, you can say anything. Dialogue is free flowing, period. There, there's, there's not this fear of reprisal. And you've talked about discussion and dialogue. Could you describe what you mean between the, the discussion versus dialogue? Absolutely. So the issue really is the, is, is respect in the, in the bottom line, in, in my opinion. So when you have discussion, it's it's kind of loose. It's a kind of conversation. It's talking about uh, people defining their individual points of view. It can become very much a debate or an argument or a who's right or who's got the better information or quite often it's who has the louder voice or the biggest amount of power. Where when you talk about dialogue, you're really talking about trying to get to the things that you have in common that you're trying to reach shared understanding. It's not a win-lose situation. It's a win-win situation because a dialogue says, well, there have to be two parties. And if you want two parties to continue to work together, and as Mark was talking about, keeping them in the common ground, then you have to be able to have that respect and openness in order to have difficult conversations. So it's really the difference between respect and the desire to keep people in the common ground, keep them having an open dialogue and being respectful in that conversation, as opposed to trying to win or be competitive or feel like one person has the power and therefore they get to speak and the people who don't have the power sink, as Mark said, sink into that underground because there's really no other safe place for them to be. And that's when you get a lot of negative energy. You get people having silos. You get people who are working sort of against the greater good of the company because they feel that they have to defend themselves because they're at so much risk. So it really is an issue, I think, bottom line, respect and having a dialogue, which is about both parties, not about one party being better or winning or having the louder voice. At one point, we, when we were putting this program together, we were talking about uh, things that are considered dialogue closers versus dialogue openers. Do you have some examples of those? Sure. 
So um, when you're talking about having a conversation with somebody and you're trying to keep it open and respectful, you don't want to use a lot of closed-ended or what I think of as dead-end statements like, you've got to be kidding. That If someone says that to me, well, it puts me, A, immediately on the defensive, and B, it doesn't really give me anything to respond to. You've got to be kidding. Well, obviously, I'm not kidding, or I wouldn't have said that. Did I sound like I was kidding? (laughs) It doesn't really give me much to work with as the other person involved in the conversation. Instead of saying something more along the lines of, I'm not sure I understand where you're coming from. You also hear often people saying things like, well, don't even talk to me about that. Like, I, I don't even go there. Again, that shuts me down. It doesn't give the other person a chance to to have any kind of way to continue the conversation. Instead of saying something like, I'm not sure I understand, or can you explain this a little more, or can you give me some examples so I can better understand? Or when people shut things down by saying, we tried that before, or that never works, or this is a waste of time. Or I don't see why I have to listen to your opinion because, you know, you're not in this position. I'm in this position. Those things are all closers or things that shut down a dialogue as opposed to the more opening types of things you can say. I hear what you're saying. I can see how you might feel that way. Can you explain a little more? I'm having trouble understanding. I'm not clear what you mean by that. We're coming from different places, what do we have in common? Let's go back to that. So definitely a difference between you've got to be kidding, which gives me nowhere to go in having a dialogue, versus I'm not sure I understand or can you help me understand or something more open like that. Absolutely. The other point that in our, uh, Mark and Susanna and I have been working on this project here for a while now, and one of the things, another point that Susanna had brought out was the difference between sympathy and empathy. And I thought that was fascinating. Would you explain that, Susanna? Sure. And this is definitely one of my favorite concepts as well, Frank. So the kind of the way I like to think about it, or the way I like to just talk about it, is that sympathy is very distancing. It's putting a distance or a space between you and the person who's suffering. Empathy is a much more connected kind of feeling and a much more... Um, life-affirming, if you might want to say that. So, for example, if I'm sympathetic to you, I'm saying, well, I'm sorry for you, but I'm glad it's not me. Now, of course, most of us don't say the I'm glad it's not me, uh, I'm glad it's not me, but that's sort of the undercurrent, the thing that doesn't get said, but sort of the what everyone knows comes after, I'm sorry for you. And again, it's that I'm sorry for you over there, not me over here. So that's very distancing. And on the other hand, you can say with empathy, it's more of, I'm sorry you're suffering, I'm here with you. And one of the things that I think people resist a lot about the idea of empathy is that they feel like, well, that means I have to, I'm saying that I feel exactly the same way. Well, you're unlikely to ever feel exactly the same way as someone else, right? Mm-hmm. The point is that you can understand how they might feel, and you're going to sit there with them while they feel that and try to be there as a support for them. It's not, oh, I've had the exact same experience, let me tell you about mine. It's not, oh, I know exactly how you feel. It's not that kind of thing which is more appropriating, it's more of, I can see that you're suffering, I can understand why you might be suffering, I'm going to be here with you and be here next to you. I am not trying to usurp your position, I'm not trying to get attention for myself, I'm simply here to be with you. And that is a much more empathetic, much more close relationship than sympathy, which is much more of a distancing kind of feeling. So empathy doesn't mean agreement. It doesn't mean I'm exactly like you. It means I can see that you're suffering, and I'm going to sit here with you as you deal with that. One example that came up uh, when I presented this idea to a group of, of, uh, of open-minded CEOs was another way to look at it was um, sympathy is a friend that says, hey, uh, call me if you need any help, and empathy is a friend who shows up without being asked. To help. Yes, definitely a great example. And, of course, the, the funny example that you often hear is like a T-shirt slogan is, you know, an acquaintance or a friend is someone who gets you out of jail and a friend, a real friend is the one who's in jail with you. <laughs> well, in real life, 
you know, you don't want the friend to be in jail with you, really. You need them to get you out. But that is a kind of a, a humorous take on the whole idea of, am I with you and I'm here with you as a support, or am I just feeling sorry for you, or I might rescue you, but then walk away? Great point. Great point. Now, this is for either one. I, I, I was a C-level individual for many, many years, and I've talked to a number of people at the C-level. And one of the things when they hear this kind of conversation, I've heard them say, God, this is like feeding the hungry. It's a good concept, but it's simply not practical. I simply do not have the time for all this touchy-feely stuff. I'm trying to run a business. Why should I spend this kind of money? How do you answer that? I think, the, um, I, I think when they don't spend the money uh, and – um, they'll find out, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll continue to lose or bleed cash in ways. It is incumbent on, I, at least my experience, it's been incumbent on, on part of my role in facilitating that conversation to start to show them where, uh, where the cash flow is being lost, um, why this is expensive. And when we did that intervention in that story with Sam, um, I included that as one of the places that our intervention had failed, that we had been doing this big organizational development push. And we'd come up with lots of cost-saving pieces from the different groups and, and cross-functional teams. But we put that one in and said, this one cost us, and here's, here's how much. So they could see um, that there was positive growth, but sometimes when these things aren't working, in this case, I didn't just place the blame on that one individual. We helped expose that. But I think it's incumbent to let them, to let leadership understand and help show the, 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 the numbers behind this. Um, some of it can't be uh, monetized, to be sure. Uh, and trying to monetize it sometimes will also diminish it. Um, we can certainly look at cost, legal costs and things like that. But there are pieces of looking at communicate, looking at the climate in the organization and, and asking about respect and just asking people, do you feel safe here? Do you feel this is more of a climate of fear or of safety? And those are basically what's embedded in the questions around how much time are you spending in the common ground, underground, and battleground? Um, because that, that sense that the employee may not be able to articulate what the cost is uh, immediately, but if you've got, if you're really in a negative uh, kind of entropy there, um, you're not going to grow, uh, flourish, or have the innovative ideas. Um, That said, we all work for, and we all know there are plenty of people who've reached high-level leadership, CEO, presidents, that can be complete jerks, uh, and sometimes, in spite of them, uh, organizations will have these pockets of creative people and folks that really want to do good. Um, and they will etch out that place. Common Ground is not saying, we're not talking about the, the la-la land with unicorns dancing in the office. It's, it's not fake. It's a place where people genuinely want to make sense out of their world and, and, and do things um, collectively better. And um, when you can show that in a cost way as well as an emotional and, and, the, and the touchy-feely pieces, it's, I think it's important because uh, um, they, they, it, it, we're not all here just to count things. Um, what, Susanna, did, one of the things that uh, I, I had met with a uh, labor attorney an employment attorney, employment attorney. I don't like to be called labor lawyers. I want to be called employment attorneys. And we were sitting down with a group of CEOs, and this attorney had said, ladies and gentlemen, you either invest a reasonable amount in attending to these issues, or you're going to squander an unreasonable amount trying to battle these. And he gave some examples. He said, now you guys can choose to do this or not. Seven hundred thousand dollars is an average, and uh, in, in 2018 was the average EEOC collectors from victim of sexual harassment. Seven hundred thousand dollars, right. or sorry, seven hundred thousand, seventy million. What am I saying? Uh, Forty thousand is the average cost settlement. Two hundred fifty thousand is the average cost in, in uh, to fight the compliance issue, and on and on and on. And he started listing these numbers, and then these people started to say, "Oh wow, we're talking about some real dollars here." And he says, "Yes, not only real dollars, but." the loss 
of your good name, the loss of your reputation, the loss of your customers, and the ability to rebuild that is going to take way more time than you can possibly imagine. So let's take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about compliance, and we're going to talk about how effective is it. Stay with us. We're going to take a short break, and we come back. Don't go away. You don't want to miss this next segment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Sakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or you can send an email to Life Altering Events Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back talking with Mark Porter and Susan Bravo. We ended the last segment talking about real costs that an organization can incur if they continue or do not take action to prevent a toxic, toxic organization. Now, during the break, Mark had mentioned some additional costs what I had mentioned. Would you share that again, Mark? Well, I was, I was mentioning, I, I, we talked about, um, I think it's incumbent upon that role as the organizational development person internally or externally just to, sh- to share those share numbers with senior people to understand that there there is there is money that'll go out the door and then you shared some of the figures that um, uh, about costs around harassment settlement sexual harassment settlements in particular um, and those have increased dramatically uh, Sometimes the, I've seen CEO presidents kind of uh, cringe, like, "Well, you know, what's well, just the price of doing business?" It it is to some extent, but when you call it out and show them, "Are where are you on this average, and why is this something you're not addressing?" And another one we have found is some of these some organizations that really have a really unhealthy climate. Where people don't feel safe, they don't. They, they're they're trying to find ways to get out of work, um, or, get, or not be there, and it's causing an enormous amount of stress. You see more um, um, workers' comp claims. Uh, those things are expensive, and they may be sometimes difficult to to show a cause and effect. But the correlations can be pretty strong, and failure to act on that, failure to understand, you have got to improve the relationship with these folks. Um, across the organization and show respect for one another, you're, you'll end up silencing voices and you'll lose, you'll have the bad turnover, or, or excuse me, the, the, the bad turnover being good, talented people leaving 
um, when you're going to need those to, to find a new way forward. Yeah, there is a definitely, it, it, it made a lot of eyes perk up when, or eyebrows perk up when we started talking about the numbers with the attorney. Now, how, how did we get here? Since 1968, 60, or 64, 62, we started having laws to avoid discrimination, to avoid unequal pay, to avoid all these different things that we've been talking about. Now we are 50 years later, and we're still having these conversations. So what happened with all this compliance training? Um, there's, there's a really big question. It's just, it, it has a, a political edge when you start talking about um, <clears throat> everything from the Civil Rights Act in 1964 through the failure of the Equal Rights Amendment to, to finally meet ratification. And, and now different states having laws requiring um, a certain amount of time training on topics like in California, anti-harassment training, um, anti-sexual harassment training primarily is. Um, and that law has been refined um, recently. So uh, it, it just you, you don't legislate some of the stupidity out of people. Uh, you're still going to have the, these, these notions sometimes that just don't make sense. I think that we're also witnessing over the last few years how um, we thought some of these things were, for some folks, believe they were defeated. I don't know how they got that conception. And um, that's not the case. You know, racism and sexism and, and, and all kinds of negativities around those places in the organization. Fear is still there. The, the poor leadership skills. Um, um, run rampant. One of the things that I saw in, in, in my life in the corporate side was uh, there was there's compliance training. We all had to take compliance training. And it was never met with, with, with anything positive. It was like, oh, God, another compliance training. What are they going to teach us now? And for a while, you could you would come up on a PC and you could just, uh, just key through the whole thing until somebody got smart and said, maybe we should wait a few minutes, make sure they're actually reading this. But... Something I've heard you say many times, Mark, this training focused on the individual as opposed yes. to the organization. Share that. Well, um, a, lot of, a, a lot of what we uh, talk about in leadership, um, especially in Western, specifically U.S. work culture, but it's, it's um, beyond, our, beyond our borders, is we have a, a very strong notion of the individual doing good, the individual being the, the source of being great leaders and the individual being recognized. We do have team awards, but that is that, that real reliance on the individual is also our reliance on describing things so much psychologically. And when, we're, when you start talking about the common ground, common is, and, and, and like the Me Too movement, it's saying, what do we share? We share this sometimes awful experience. We share this great experience. Communication means to share. Commune um, and community are about sharing. So when you shift from trying to figure out what narcissistic problems someone may have, that they're so preoccupied with making themselves better or, or however, in, in both um, functional and dysfunctional ways, to how do you make the relationship better? Susanna's comment about dialogue was really, and, and also on empathy, is about the relationship, about improving that respectful relationship, genuinely, sincerely interested in the other person and trying to collectively do something. Nothing great is done alone. Nothing great is done alone. It requires lots of people to do incredible things, uh, not just in, as we talk about the old expression of takes a village to raise a child, it takes a bunch of people to make great, complicated things in organizations. It took a lot of people to put your show together, Frank. It sure um, is. So, you know, just, just recognizing that that's okay, that you get out of this competition view of it's me, individual, against other people. And it's really about us trying to do greater things. Uh, otherwise, you get the, the old notion of synergy was that, um, one plus one is greater than two, that somehow the group can do things better than one individual. I've walked into a lot of organizations in which 
that doesn't work. It's actually, you see collectively really smart people put together doing really stupid stuff. And what's happening there is it's broken down that ability for them to work together. So synergy is not a, is not a given. Um, I'll stop there. I, and Susanna, I, I, you've, you've had some of the experiences in this too. Yeah, and, you know, really what I wanted to say is to go back to this idea that I think you were touching on, Mark, which is that it is rarely an individual problem. Violence in the workplace, in the workplace sexism, racism, it's rarely an individual problem. It's usually institutionalized, at least to some degree, because if it happened once and somebody was immediately fired or, you know, action was taken that was appropriate, then it probably wouldn't continue to be a problem. But what usually happens and what we're seeing with the Me Too movement and a lot of the other things that are going on in the culture right now is that it is the failure of the organization to make sure that things like this do not happen and do not happen repeatedly. I mean, I just think about the the Olympic Committee, right, and the whole, the um, specifically the coaches and doctors for the women's gymnastics team. Mm -hmm. Multiple people knew what was happening there. It was not just one person, but the organization, the culture of that organization allowed it to continue, allowed it to be okay to hurt the girls because you didn't want to say anything about the leadership team. So I just wanted to bring it back to that idea of this is an organizational problem. It is not an individual problem, even though it might be individual people like Epstein who get the press. Epstein did not act alone, right? Mm -hmm. None of those people act alone. So I also wanted to kind of bring us back to this idea of the common ground and the underground. And the fact is that the reason the underground exists is because the culture of the organization is such that people don't feel safe. So going back to, you know, Mark's model, how do we get people out of the underground, not in open battle, because that isn't usually very helpful, but into the common ground? So I'd really like us to kind of figure out how do we get to that point and remember that it is an organizational issue, not an individual issue. That's an excellent point. The a, a great deal of time and money was spent on this individualized training, and then it would come back and say, well, if it, if it occurred, well, you, the individual, failed, as opposed to we, the organization, failed. That's a great point. So let's get back to this. How do we improve civility at work and grow the common ground? What are some of the steps, Mark? Well, one of the first steps is talking to them realistically to both the senior folks and then as you begin to involve people across the organization, um, that it's going to take time. Um, they, they, they're going to need some patience. They also need to understand, uh, because if it's, if it's pretty embedded, and it's, when I've seen that the underground numbers are really high, uh, it means that the common ground is, is, pretty, is pretty much shrunk. So as things get exposed uh, and, and really some tough, tough conversations happen, uh, more often than not, that conflict goes into battleground. And you've got to help the company navigate that. So telling them what to expect and uh, telling them that it's going to be a tough battle and it's going to take many, many months and, and possibly, you know, it's, it's not something we can come in and, and give you two hours of training on or a half day on and voila, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are the happiest people on the planet. It, uh, the longer term intervention requires uh, um, involving people across the organization, um, finding and, and seeking that talent out, uh, seeking uh, diverse voices out. Um, and, and by that, that diverse experiences and skill sets and whatever, uh, because they, if they're the ones that have felt strongly that their group or their team has been largely ignored, and not just them, um, they may have something interesting, you know, important to contribute, and you've got to find a way to make that safe and, and um, helpful. So some of it also involves some um, training uh, and reframing things, that, and like what, what Susanna has done in the, her communication training programs and leadership programs, um, t- 
to help them reframe, you know, uh, the difference between discussion and dialogue and, and sympathy and empathy. Um, to understand what conflict is and give them a new language. That's part of what the common ground model itself does, because it, it, it's, it's on its face, it makes sense to go, oh, it's, we're, there's battleground, common ground, and underground. But as you begin to explain what it takes to grow civility and grow a tolerance for ambiguity, a tolerance um, uh, for misunderstanding, frankly, that's part of the ambiguity. Uh, otherwise, it snaps really quickly. So that is, is um, I'll, I'll stop there, Frank, and let you, with your follow-up, or and I've right. looped we, in Susanna, too. So. We have about uh, two minutes here. Susanna, I've heard you talk about trust. It's all about trust. When you walk into a toxic situation like that, what, how do you start to build the trust? Well, that is, of course, you know, <laughs> the million-dollar question. There is no easy, quick way. So as Mark was just saying, I think the idea of, getting leaders to understand that, yes, you can hire a, a consultant to say us, for example, to come in and give a one-hour training or a two-day training or two-month training, but it's not going to solve the problem overnight. It is a process. Building trust is a process. Number one thing you need to do is, I think, as a, especially if you're in leadership positions, is to listen. What we find over and over again is that people are in the underground oftentimes because they are not feeling they, they are being listened to. So number one in building trust yeah. is listening to people. Number two in building trust is recognizing that there is common ground and making sure that everyone um, honors that and that is kept in the forefront. I think a lot of times what happens is everything that's in the forefront is the bad stuff, is the negative stuff, because that's what people are focusing on. But I think if you can build more of the acknowledgement of the common ground into the daily dialogue, the daily conversation, the daily work that people do, then you'll have a better time of building trust. So it's a lot about listening, and it's a lot about uh, making sure that people are hearing each other. This and I been, think that is an organizational objective. This has been just an amazing conversation. We're almost out of time. The hour has gone by far too fast. I want to thank both uh, Mark Porter and Susan Bravo for this inspiring conversation. The three of us have worked on a program. We can do workshops at companies. We can do seminars, webinars, etc. Contact me at Life Altering Events. Uh, email me, and we'll give you more information on that. Now, I want the no matter what life throws at you, what you hear here today, it, it, whatever life throws at you, just look up, get up, and never ever give up. If you pick up the pieces, you move forward. Better people and better times are going to come into your life. And let me leave you with this: well, no one's in this alone. The key to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into Life Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life changing week. The Good Cop.